Welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast, the podcast focused on helping civil engineering professionals succeed by exposing them to interesting civil engineering projects and successful civil engineering professionals around the world. Hosts Anthony Fasano and Christian Knutson had successful but unconventional civil engineering careers and now focus on helping civil engineering professionals achieve their goals in work and life. Welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and this is the podcast specifically for civil engineers who want to succeed. In today's episode, we're going to welcome back again Jim Rogers from the Seller Doer Academy for Civil Engineers. Jim's been on a couple of our most popular episodes on the Civil Engineering Podcast, and today we're going to talk about leads, generating leads as a civil engineer, how to make calls, how to reach out to people. It's something that can fast track your advancement and really move you up in your firm, because if you can bring in business. So before we get into our civil engineering conversation of the week, I want to take a moment to recognize our sponsor for today's episode, PPI. If you're thinking about taking the civil FE or PE exam, I recommend that you check out PPI, the leader in civil engineering exam prep. PPI is offering a special 20% discount to listeners of this podcast. Use promo code CIVIL at PPITopass.com. Again, that's PPI, the number two, pass.com. And use promo code CIVIL for a 20% discount. All right, it is the new year, and we want to gear up to have a very successful new year. I'm sure everybody does. And what does successful mean? Hopefully for you, it means achieving your goals. And hopefully for you, you know what your goals are. I spent my kind of holiday break gearing up for next year, planning out what goals we want to work on. A couple of things that will be getting really kind of amped up from the engineering career coach is we're launching engineering career TV in later January. You'll be able to access short videos once a week on career questions that are answered from engineers that we get pretty much every day. I'm excited about doing the video show. I think it'll just be another format. We're still going to continue with the podcast. And we've also drastically improved our engineering community, the Engineering Mastermind, which is at theengineeringmastermind.com. We're currently in beta testing for our new forum, which is going to replace our existing forum on or around January 20th. So a lot going on. We're going to be dedicating a lot of time to our community. We've set up office hours now for community members to get some guidance in their careers. A lot of great stuff going on. So check it out at theengineeringmastermind.com. And and if you have any questions, just get in touch with us through the website. All right, now I'd like to introduce our guest for today's Civil Engineering Conversation, just so you get to know Jim a little bit more, even though he's been on the podcast a few times. Jim Rogers is a nationally recognized proposal guru and author who helps professional services clients win more work. He's a consultant, speaker, author, and sales presentation coach. Civil engineers hire him to help build their authority and to help them prepare proposals and presentations that seal the deal. He's the author of the book, Win More Work, How to Write Better AEC Proposals. Today, he's a master distiller of ideas. That is, he helps his clients distill their ideas to the time and space allotted by their prospective clients. He is the founder of the Seller Doer Academy for Civil Engineers, which helps AEC firms win more work by helping their engineers become better at building work, building business, which is what Jim's going to get into today and give you some tips to overcome cold calling, reaching out to people, which is uncomfortable. Now, the words seller-doer are always catchy words in the civil engineering industry. Everybody wants to become a seller-doer. So one of the things that we've kind of created through this seller-doer academy is an assessment that you can take to try to determine if you are a seller-doer. 
and just to get your own feedback. And it's a very comprehensive survey. It's something that the Academy is going to eventually charge for, but we're going to offer 500 surveys done for free. The first 500 people that go to the website and take the survey, you'll get a report in a few months of how you stacked up versus everybody else to gauge, you know, kind of take stock on where you are. That's going to be at sellerdoerassessment.com, and I'll remind you about that at the end of the show, but I would take advantage of that so you can get a feel for where you're at on this seller-doer scale. All right, so now it's time to jump into today's civil engineering conversation. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, so now it's time for our Civil Engineering Conversation of the Week and we're bringing back Jim Rogers. A year ago, we had Jim on for our most popular civil engineering podcast episode to date. That was number 27 back in March 2016 on how to take steps to become a seller doer. We had over 20,000 downloads of that podcast, which outlined the five stages of different activities along the client life cycle, which our guest today, Jim Rogers, had described as Arlock. I'm going to ask Jim to talk a bit more about that in a minute, but in short, RLOC stands for recognition, as in building familiarity with your authority as a professional. L stands for leads, generate and manage leads until they become opportunities, which is the O, that you can close, which is the C, and then convert those into clients. And then when you have clients, of course, you want to keep providing great service to keep them, which is the K. So again, recognition, leads, opportunities, close, keep that's our lock. Now, because we just skimmed the surface of what each one is, we thought that we would do this seller doer series of podcast episodes that go deeper into each letter and what it means for you. If you are a seller doer or if you're positioning yourself to be a more active seller doer, we all know how that's going to help you as a civil engineer. We won't tackle necessarily the Arlock in order, nor will we devote just one of these episodes to each. Some are richer than others and may require a couple of sessions, like today's. Today we're going to talk about the L in Arlock leads. What Jim Rogers will talk about with me is how to overcome one of the biggest obstacles to growing your business or building your career, which is being able to generate new clients by reaching out and getting a first meeting with them. Now, full disclosure here, I did help Jim to create the Seller Doer Academy for Civil Engineers, and I am one of the learning coaches who leads the curriculum and coaching there, but I think you'll find a lot of value in what we're going to talk about today. So be sure to stick around until later in the podcast where we make a terrific offer for you to take stock of where you are in your career as a seller doer, what you could be or should be doing, and what skills you need in order to perform the activities that lead to revenue. I'm going to have Jim say a little bit more about that later, but let's get going. All right, so again, Jim's here. We're going to unpack the L in RLOC, which stands for leads. Now, based on your research, you find that making the initial contact with folks is one of the obstacles for seller doers, Jim. It goes against our nature as engineers. I mean, it just does. We're billable professionals. We don't have time to become salespeople. So I know you're going to try to share with us some strategies that can help us overcome those barriers without feeling like we're thrown to the wolves or having to go back to school full time, hopefully. Right. Who wants to go back to school for that? Yeah, I certainly don't. I don't even know if they have good schools for that. Well, let's jump in here, Jim. And this is something that we have to unpack for engineers because I make a case all the time that if you want to be a successful civil engineer, you need to win work for your company. And while we have engineers that listen to this that are right out of school and we have executives, it doesn't matter because all roads in civil engineering lead to, in my opinion, 
getting more revenue for your company. Absolutely. And you mentioned the Seller Doer Academy a minute ago. I am one of the co-founders of Seller Doer Academy, which is completely devoted to helping engineers make the most out of their careers by adding value to their companies, but sometimes just by being able to win the kind of jobs that you want to do. Hey, if you want to do interesting work and not just uh, send some invoices to keep the lights on kind of work, you want to do cool projects, you want to have control over whether or not you do work for good clients and be able to fire your bad clients, then being able to attract the kind of clients that you want to serve is really the first step. Of course, keeping good clients is one of the best ways, but the L in, in RLOC, which has to do with generating and maintaining leads and converting them into opportunities, is something that anybody can do at any point in their career, but it's also one of the toughest things for people to do because a lot of times you're talking about making contacts with people you don't know, you haven't worked with before, they don't know you, and it's the place in business development where as a seller doer, you feel most like a salesperson. And that's the most uncomfortable place to be for a lot of people that aren't professional salespeople. Yeah. And usually, Jim, the most uncomfortable places to be are the places where you could separate yourself from like 90% of other civil engineers. That's a great point. The people that listen to your podcast, Anthony, are people that want to improve, want to be better as engineers. And I know some of your most popular podcasts have to do with business development, marketing, how to grow your business. And I think there's a reason for that. People know that that can separate themselves. So you've got a great following of people that want to improve. All right, Jim. So how do we help them do that? Let's get out. They got this fear. I'm a civil engineer. I want to do my civil engineering. Yeah, I'd love to bring in work. I'd love to become a partner, but it's uncomfortable. So what do I do? So the today's topic, we decided to talk about how to get the first appointment. So what I thought a good way to think through this would be is to talk a little bit about sales and marketing contact methods and their effectiveness and some of the barriers to the different contact methods. Quickly talk about that because I want to get to making phone calls to get appointments with people. So we'll talk about phone calls for appointment setting, how to lay the foundation. So cold calling is not dead. You'll hear a lot of people talk about cold calling is dead and they're trying to sell you something that would maybe email campaigns or some other way to get to people, inbound marketing, content marketing. All those are good tools, but cold calling is not dead, but it's scary. So I'm going to give you some things to do today that you can do to lay the foundation for a call so it's not really a cold call. One of those will be referrals and the other is a secret weapon. Anthony, you know, it's so secret. I'm going to hold on till we get to it. It's really, really high tech, really high tech. I promise you'll be surprised when you hear about this new secret tool that I'm going to give you. Hey, Jim, for those listeners that are saying, I don't understand when I would need to make a cold call as a civil engineer. I'll just give like an example. If you want to, again, try to be a seller do and bring in revenue to your company, you can try to get a beat on, let's say, the top real estate developers in your county, maybe the top five. And then what can you do? You can call them up and say, hey, listen, I'm XYZ. I'm at the civil engineering company. There's some new wetlands regulations that are out. I'd love to come and sit with you, walk you through them, or I'd love to, we're going to put on a lunch in here in the office. I'd love to invite you to come to it. There's a lot of situations where making a cold call to someone, someone that you don't know, could potentially help you to bring revenue into your company as a civil engineer. Anthony, you just hit a great point to give a great example of something I'm going to talk a little bit more about in a minute, which is when you call somebody, have something to offer them of value to them and not just call and make it feel like a sales call. 
the key thing is for it not to be a sales call, for it to be an introductory call where you're trying to get face to face with somebody because that's where the magic really happens. Or to figure out on that phone call that you shouldn't be meeting face to face, but to find out who you should be meeting with. So after we talk about the phone calls a little bit, we'll talk about the biggest barrier of all, which is mental. It's the, how do you get past the fear of picking up the phone? And maybe it's not fear, maybe too strong of a word, but inertia becomes the biggest problem that people have because if we're busy, we're doing client billable work. How do we set aside time to make a phone call? If you thought it was time to make cold calls or warm calls, you might go, well, I better get this email written or get my inbox cleaned out or make this client call or sign off on this deliverable, whatever it is, and keep making excuses for picking up the phone and making these calls. We'll give you some strategies for overcoming that. Actually, the tips along the way today should make that process a lot easier. Let's talk first about different kinds of contact methods that you might have that get some exposure for you to somebody that you want to meet. This could be things like, and this is kind of in order of effectiveness, there's nothing scientific about this, but things like warm calls, which means calling somebody who would recognize who you were when they heard your name, a cold call where you are catching them out of the blue, you're interrupting them, and then you have to explain why you're calling. Presentations at conferences or network, being at networking events and collecting business cards or direct marketing. I use direct mail to generate meetings. Anthony, you gave the example earlier about my sending a book to somebody. That's an example of direct marketing. Publishing, I write articles and hey, there's this uh, new thing called podcasting where people become aware of my authority. Email and advertising are tougher to get results from just because the, the sheer numbers and there's also a nuisance factor in there that can turn some potential clients off, but or not for advertising, but for the email part of it anyway. The number one most effective of those is a warm call. So the effectiveness rate is about the highest. But you have to think about this more than just how successful is it. What's your payoff time? If you measure your result by how quickly you get a meeting with somebody, the effectiveness rate would be, do I get a meeting? And then the second question would be, how quickly can you get a meeting and actually convert that into a lead or an opportunity? Another dimension of this is, what's the relative cost for generating leads with one of those methods? Mass marketing is a relatively inexpensive way of doing that. Let's say email marketing is very cheap, but it's not very effective. There's one other factor here that comes into play, which is, what's the emotional cost what do you think has more of an emotional cost to you, running an advertisement or making a cold call? What's the hardest one for you to wrap your head around? Probably making a cold call because in advertisement, I just have to put the order in and I'm done. A cold call, I actually got to talk to someone I don't know. Right. If you fail, there's no face on it, right? I mean, you run an ad or you send an email and somebody doesn't reply, it, you don't take it as personally, Right. Right. But if you call somebody and then you can tell they want to get off the phone with you as fast as they can, that hurts a little bit. That touches the no matter hard-hearted or logical we might be, there's some emotional cost to rejection. I guess if I'd thrown the word rejection in there, it might have been a better question. With something that's more mass, like an email or advertising, even doing a presentation, you don't get that feeling of rejection that you would get if you're making a phone call to somebody. When measuring the different tools, you have to kind of balance the effectiveness and how quickly it could turn into a, a real warm lead or an opportunity versus the emotional cost of doing this. And the emotional cost is a big barrier, which is the, that fear of rejection or fear of annoying somebody in some way because you're making a call to them. 
Listen, I think that the one thing to keep in mind here is that successful civil engineers don't typically follow the average or typical career path for civil engineers. They do something different, meaning that whether they start a new service in their company, they become a top BD person as an engineer, they're able to go out to a conference and come back with a, a, something that they convert to a lead. They find out about a new tool and they bring it into their company, right? They do things that are different and they do things that differentiate them. And that's what makes the emotional risk potentially enough to say it's risky, but the successful civil engineers take the risk because they want to differentiate themselves. That's the way I see it. Right. Emotional risk is a good way of putting it. You're vulnerable. You feel vulnerable because you could be rejected in some way. And doing that face-to-face -face or doing that on a phone are the two most painful ways that that happens when you get rejection. And there will be rejection. So part of it's learning to face that. Anthony, I don't know if you have, when we get to the end of the call, if you have thoughts for overcoming some of those barriers to doing that, the fear of rejection. Interested in your thoughts on that. I'm still learning myself. Here's some ways to make sure these are calls that you're making uh, because the cold call is the hardest one, has the highest emotional investment because the rejection is high, potential for rejection is high. When you make a cold call, if it's a warm call, you can make that call with a lot more confidence. It helps you overcome the barrier. What are warm calls? A warm call means that they, they'll know who you are. So it could be that you're following up to with somebody that you met at a networking event. You have their business card. So that's a fairly easy one to make because you have a good conversation starter. Hey, uh, Anthony, I met you at the Louisiana Engineering Conference, Fall Conference, and you gave me your card. You suggested I reach out by phone because now is a good time to chat. That's a lot easier conversation starter than calling somebody cold that you want to meet. Another good way to warm up the contact is through a referral that being able to use somebody's name. Hey, Anthony, uh, Chris Knutson, who's hosted a lot of your civil engineering podcasts in the past, you know, suggested that we talk. Another way to do it, and this is, well, I'm going to hold this last one. The last one is uh, the, the super secret weapon that I alluded to earlier. But uh, some of these different techniques can work in combination too, and that makes them much more powerful. Anthony, I think you talked about me mailing a book and then following up with a phone call. Actually, uh, they heard me speak at an ACEC national conference. And then he put the two things together and thought, oh, I got this book. Oh, now I know this guy's name. And he came up to me after the talk and going to do business with him. So these things in combination work really well. Let's first talk about asking for a referral because this is, seems like a really easy thing to do because you're asking for a referral from somebody that you know well or have done good work for usually. So you think that this is going to be easy, an easy thing to do. I have a client and I talked to you about this a couple of years ago and I said, let's get some referrals here. I've got a challenge for you. Here's a way to go about doing it, which I'm about to explain to you in a second, a good way to go about it. Instead, he sent a bunch of emails to five active clients and said he wanted to talk to them about a referral. He didn't hear back from any of them. So how's that for emotional rejection when it's somebody that you already know and you're doing good work for and they don't reply to your email asking for a referral? And by referral, I should probably define that real quickly. I don't mean a testimonial. That's kind of a different thing to me if you're asking somebody to provide a testimonial. A referral is give me a name of someone and agree for me, me to use your name when I call them, when I reach out to them. So that's what I mean by a referral. 
you want to meet somebody at, I'll use uh, transportation. You want to meet somebody at the DOT, at somebody that in a department you haven't worked in with before. You've got a client at DOT in another area that's happy with your work. And you might say, would you make an introduction to such and such a person? Or can you think of somebody at the, think of the adjacent state? You're in New Jersey. Maybe you want to meet somebody at PennDOT. So there's somebody over at PennDOT like you that you think I should meet. So let me give you some tips on this because you should get about an 80 to 90% effectiveness rate on asking for referrals. If you don't, then either your technique for asking for them is wrong, or maybe you've got a problem with that client. And this is a data point that you've got a problem you need to solve with this client. So that's the way I would always take rejection on this is just take it as data, take it as feedback and don't take it as, as a personal attack. It's easy to take it personally. Just use it as feedback. So here's the way I would go about it. If before you call, there's some things you should do. First is determine the person you want to meet. So have somebody in mind that you want to ask the refer for. Now, as soon as I say that, I'm going to tell you something counterintuitive. When you talk to the person you're asking for the referral from, you don't have to mention the person you want to meet by name. So you can withhold that information at the beginning. So you don't have to ask them for an intro to a specific person by name until they've had a chance to think about it for themselves. A couple of good reasons for this. People commit to an idea if it's their idea. So if by kind of opening it up and saying, hey, you know, I wonder if there's somebody that you think I should meet over at PennDOT, for example, even if you have an idea of who it is you want to meet, if they come up with it and it's their idea, they're more likely than to do something else to help you get to that person. Second reason to do it is if I just said, um, hey, Chris, can you give me an introduction to Anthony Fasano? He might say, sure. Well, I just missed an opportunity to maybe get some other names from Chris. So if I instead I said, hey, Chris, I'm interested in meeting people that are important over at PennDOT. I want to get your thoughts on that. Is there somebody you think I should meet? He might give you two names. And then if one of them's not Anthony Fasano, I might say, well, what about Anthony Fasano? Do you know him? Say, oh, yeah, sure. I should have thought of him first. Or, yeah, that was my next name on the list. Well, now you've got three names instead of just one, Anthony Fasano. Does that make sense? That does make sense. And I think that, again, that's good advice just in general is that when you're talking with someone, let them give you information if they're going to give it to you. I mean, I think a lot of times we jump in, especially as engineers, we want to solve that problem. We want to jump in. This is what I need. This is what I want to get. I want to get in. I want to get out. But Jim makes a good point is leave some space in these conversations because you can come away with some gems of information that you can then use to achieve your objective, essentially. Yes. Here are two other quick points about what you do before you reach out to ask for the referral is, number one, you call, don't email. And the client that I coached through this had an issue I think had a low response rate because of email. And also I think the later ended up making phone calls and leaving messages. And some of those phone calls weren't returned. It had nothing to do with performance with those clients. That's a kind of a trickier situation I won't talk about today, but people want advice on that. They can shoot me an email at jim at sellerdoeracademy.com and I can give you some thoughts on that. So the, one of the key things is to call, don't email. You're going to get a higher success rate. Now, the other tip is if it's an existing client, it's an active client that you have projects going on for, do it early in the project. Don't wait till later in the project. Everybody's usually happy during the honeymoon period of a project 
and you get near the end and all kinds of things can happen, even if the project turns out all right, think about it. In the last 20% of most of the projects that you worked on, are they are people as feeling as good about it as they were in the first 20% of the project? Probably not, because that's when most of the headaches happen. And even if you cut through it all right and they're super happy with your work, you've let a lot of time elapse where you could have gotten that referral earlier. So I would ask for it early in the project when things are going well, even if it's a new client and you haven't finished a project for them before. I don't think there's any reason to do that, to uh, wait till the project's over, your first project with them. I've had some people suggest that you do it after the sales process, before you start the project. I'm uncomfortable with that. It may work, probably works. Maybe I just have fear of uh, rejection there, Anthony. I don't know. But I feel a little funny about asking for a referral when I've closed business, but before I've started work for a new client. I would do something for them of value before asking. Yeah, I would agree with that. So when you get this person on the phone, so now you're prepared to call, you call them or you're meeting with them. You might just say, hey, look, you know, when we've completed this phase of work or even better, uh, how are we doing? It's good to ask for feedback, get somebody to give you some positive feedback because then you get ready to ask them for the referral. You know, assuming you're happy with our work, I'm going to reach out to you next week and I'm going to ask you for a referral to somebody you know at PennDOT. Or you could say something, if in a week, I'm going to ask you if you can think of someone else you know who's like you who could get similar value from our work. Does that sound okay? A lot of times they'll just give you that information, right? But part of the reason for having two stages to this is gives them a little bit more time to think about it and it's not as much of a surprise. You're just going to get a stronger referral out of it if you give them a little bit of space. Don't put them on the spot. So when you call that person back in a week, here are some things that you could say. You know, remember I said I, I would ask you for a referral? Well, here we are. I want to meet influential people at PennDOT. What's your advice for how I can best do that? Or did you think a name of somebody I should meet there? They give you a name, keep going. You know, is there anyone else you think I should meet? Is there anyone else outside of PennDOT like you who you think would benefit from what we do? Then ask them for advice. People love to give advice. You know, what advice do you have for the best way to reach out to them? Ask them, you know, may I use your name? And most of us think to do that. Here's one most people don't think to do. Could you meet together? What if we go over together? Let's say it's geographically makes sense to do this. You're in the next county and not two states over. Hey, you know, could we meet together? I'll buy you guys lunch. That's another great, more powerful way to make an introduction. And here's something that people forget to do when they ask for referrals. It's always a good time to remind the referrer, person who's giving you the referral, it's a good time to remind you of something else that you do. You know, you might say, did you know that we also do, I don't know, landscape architecture? Or did you also know that we do uh, mechanical work? So uh, because that client may not know, they may know you for transportation work and not know you for, say, facilities work. So it's a chance to make a little commercial. And then they may go, oh, well, there's, oh, yeah, you should also think about this person. So you may get one more referral out of them. Anthony, I was on a call with somebody at SMPS, the Society for Marketing Professional Services. You've had Amanda Payne and maybe some other folks from SMPS on the call before prior podcast. And uh, I called somebody for referrals and she gave me about three. And I started to be conscious that I, she was giving me a lot of her time and I kept trying to wind the conversation down. Well, thank you very much. I can't believe, you know, you were able to pull that many up. She must have been online looking up other names because she was like, oh, well, here's another one. So she got to four and I was like, well, thank you very much. I appreciate your help. Here's a fifth one. And it's, so finally I've, I'm slow, Anthony, I'm slow sometimes, but finally I shut up, let her keep going. I got about eight names from her. 
And she wanted to give me the names. I was becoming self-conscious about how much time or how much information I was getting from her because she didn't know me that well. Let people keep going. After you've gotten a referral from somebody, the one thing to kind of wrap this up about getting the referral is that make sure you follow up with them to let them know what you did with a referral. You want to thank them. People usually wonder what happened. I had one of these recently where somebody asked me what I did with a referral before I even had a chance to reach out to the name that they had given me. So people want to know, what'd you do with it? And this also, if you follow up and you're talking with them, it's a good chance to find out more about the person that you want to meet. So use each one of those touch points and get the most value you can out of it. So Anthony, that's the number one way to soften somebody up before you make a phone call is to have a referral. That way you can say, hi, Anthony, Chris Knutson suggested that I reach out to you. The second best way, this is the super secret weapon, Anthony, the super secret weapon that very few people use anymore. You know what it is? No. United States Postal Service, what, a.k.a. snail mail. Who's that? USPS. I don't, nobody calls them Postal Service, right? Mail. One, I think, missed opportunity that people have that will accelerate your relationship is to go ahead and act like a trusted advisor to somebody. How do you do that? You can send them something in the mail that just kind of says to them, I was thinking about you and a problem that you might have. Now, when I say send them something in a mail in advance of a phone call, I do not mean to send them any marketing material. By sending them something, because you're going to interrupt their day with a phone call, you want to make sure that you're worthy of their attention. They're more likely to be accepting of your call and more open with you, less defensive, more likely to, to actually have a meaningful conversation with you. The other way to soften folks up is to send them something by mail. You mentioned earlier my sending a book to people to get their attention. That way they've seen my name once on the book. But when I called them, I could say, hi, this is Jim Rogers. Hi, Anthony, this is Jim Rogers. A couple of weeks ago, I sent you a copy of my book, Win More Work. Did you get it? How hard is that to make that first phone call? So what that does is it helps you get over the emotional anxiety or the fear of rejection, he's either going to say yes or no. He might say, no, I'm too busy to talk to you. And that's okay. Right. And should I call back? I mean, you could try to still make something out of that conversation. But if he says yes, usually it's going to be yes, but I haven't had a chance to read it. It's right here on my desk. And then I say, well, when you do, would you mind talking to me? I want to get your feedback on it. Or I could call somebody and say, hey, I sent you a copy of my book. What was your reaction? And leave it real open-ended and let them give them then shut up and give them some space to talk. And that's a great way to start a conversation. You might have people out there thinking, well, Anthony and Jim, I haven't written my first book yet. I don't have a book to send. You don't have to, right? It could be a handwritten note. It could be how-tos or maybe something you didn't even write yourself. But I, I create tip sheets. I've got one thing I call the four-minute proposal challenge that I send to people. Like, do you want to do a quick self-assessment of one of your proposals? And then, hey, you know, if you want to send me a proposal, I'll look at it. We can go through this together. could be an offer to help. You could send them how-tos. You could send them local or industry news, statistics or analysis of a report that you've done yourself or a report you've seen somewhere else. If you had an article, you could send them a reprint of your article, but you don't have to put any marketing material in there. That is your marketing material. Your article is it. So that's all you need so that when you call and say, hey, I was thinking of you, I sent an article. Did you read it? could be an article about companies or trends, case studies, could be a welcome package. I had a client, uh, something I had never thought of, client had somebody that moved across country to take over the, the city administrator in a town of about 
80,000. So they dropped off a welcome packet. No, it wasn't a fruit basket, but it was a copy of a book on the history of that town. It's actually a historical town. And they just dropped off a book with a handwritten note and said, welcome to town. And I thought this might interest you. I look forward to meeting you when you have time, when you get settled. That was a year ago. They've already gotten business. I think they've already gotten business, or at least uh, they have a hot opportunity with that client. Could be an offer for a brown bag, you know? So there are any number of things to just think outside of email and think outside the phone and think about paper because it's more likely that somebody's going to open up something that you've sent them in the mail. They're more likely to read it. They're more likely to remember you than if you send them an email cold. So suggested almost never use email. So those are the two. I know we said we'd talk about four things today. I hit three of the four there and really all four because the the emotional investment or the risk, the fear of rejection is the biggest obstacle. It creates the most inertia. But if you ask for a referral or if you soften them up by sending something in advance that's in service of the client, um, they're more likely to remember you, be willing to talk to you, but you're also already starting to act like a trusted advisor to them. Maybe not trusted. You're already starting to act like an advisor to them because you're doing something that's in service of them or you're doing something for them. It's not just doing shameless self-promotion. It is self-promotion, but you're doing it to help them grapple with a problem, solve a problem rather than just sending your trifold. I hope you don't have trifolds, but rather than sending them a marketing slick in the mail, which goes in the trash and just screams me, 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 look at me, hire me meet with me, which is the one of the least effective things that you can do. All right. Well, a big thanks to Jim Rogers for coming on the Civil Engineering Podcast. Once again, he's becoming quite a regular here. And I think you're going to enjoy this Seller Doer series. Again, this is the first of a series we're going to do just because every time we talk about Seller Doer, the downloads go off the charts. And as you heard today, we dug into a lot of really, I think, valuable stuff for civil engineers. And I think there's a lot more where that came from. So I'm going to let Jim go here. I'm going to come back in our end segment. I'm going to wrap up by giving you the information about the Seller Doer assessment that you can take to get that free report that we mentioned earlier. And I will also give a couple of tips that I use to overcome that fear of cold calling. So, Jim, thanks again for coming on today. Oh, you're welcome, Anthony. Anytime. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, now it's time for our CE Hot Seat segment. And in today's episode, we don't actually have a hot seat because Jim Rogers has been on the podcast before. We've already kind of grilled him. But what I will do in this segment is I will talk to you about the idea of reaching out to people cold, whether it's cold calling, going to a networking event, again, to trying to build business. That's what's going to help you to become a seller doer, to become that next level civil engineer. But how do you overcome that fear? So before I do that, let me recognize our sponsor for today's episode. Engineers often ask me what exam prep materials or review courses they should use when preparing for the FE or PE exam. Hands down, I recommend PPI. I personally use PPI's materials to pass my exams, and I recently had a chance to demo their civil FE and PE review courses. It's why I feel confident recommending PPI for those of you planning to take the next step in your career. PPI is offering a special 20% discount to listeners of this podcast. Use the promo code CIVIL at ppitopass.com. Again, that's PPI, the number two, pass.com, and use the promo code CIVIL for a 20% discount. All right, so getting back now to this idea of cold calling, reach out to people cold. What I recommend is, 
first of all, you have to have a vision for why you're doing that. And you have to be clear what that is. So, you know, probably your vision will be build business, right? Bring in more work, advance your career. These are all things that are important to you as a civil engineer. You listen to this podcast because you want to grow and growing your firm is going to grow your career. So when it's time to make a cold call or go to an event that you don't feel like going to and meet someone new, you need to think about this vision and you need to envision what's going to happen if you succeed on this phone call. If there's a new real estate developer in town, a big-time developer who's going to be working on some big projects and you want to get in the door with him or her, you need to make a call or an email or whatever you decide to do. But before you do that, I recommend that you take a minute, you visualize the potential opportunities and success that will come out of a successful call, and then you proceed. Because if you don't, there will be doubt in your mind. It will pop up. It will stop you from making a call. It will prevent you from leaving a voicemail. It will prevent you from being aggressive and following up. And that's what I always do, and it's been very, very helpful for me. I really get focused around the success that this is going to bring. I visualize what it's going to look like, and that pushes me to be aggressive and to go after my goals and to make these kind of uncomfortable calls and broaden my horizons. And that's what I want you to do, not just this year, but going forward in your civil engineering career. All right, so please remember, Take advantage of the seller-doer assessment that we were making available to the first 500 people that take it. It's going to really help you. You go to sellerdoerassessment.com, you fill out the assessment, and then in about 30 days, roughly, we'll compile all of the assessments that we've received, and we'll send you back your specific results along with the compilations. You can see kind of where you stand on the seller-doer scale. And again, that's sellerdoerassessment.com. Please remember you can find the show notes for this episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. Look for episode number 48. You will find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during the episode. You can leave a question in the comments section or visit the Ask Us tab on the website. We monitor all comments and will respond if you leave us one, whether it's for Jim or myself. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering career endeavors. Thank you for listening to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Be sure to visit civilengineeringpodcast.com where you can listen to past episodes and also submit your project to be featured on the show. We also invite you to visit our main website at engineeringcareercoach.com and download a free three-part video series created specifically for engineers to help you best utilize LinkedIn for networking, improve your communication and speaking skills, and also help to develop your leadership abilities. Now is the time to engineer your own success. 